0: i
1: Uh, Hello, everybody. Uh, Tribalism is an issue and always has been, I I guess, since the Tower of Babel when um, we, you know, uh, or God, not we, but when God uh, divided people's language. Because people are different, uh, look different, speak different, have different cultures, then uh, they hate on one another and fight with one another and uh, there's a, a movie we saw just uh, last night called The Story, which is called The Freedom Writers. And in that story, that story is about a teacher in Los Angeles who, after the, the riots uh, in Los Angeles, I think in the early 90s, uh, worked in a high school in which uh, she was an English teacher. And the, the kids in the high school were all, of course, separated. They, they're separated by group uh, they had the, uh, uh, the, the blacks were one group, and the Latinos, another group, the white, white kids, the Asian kids, and they all had their own territories and such. And this uh, occurred in her classroom, and she found a way to unite them by having them write their own life stories in journals. And so they wrote about themselves in these journals, and they found uh, that they had a, a commonality that was over and above their differences. Uh, and so then, one of the, the turning points, uh, at least in the, in the story, this, it's a true story, it's not just a movie, this actually happened. Uh, that uh, she took them to the Holocaust Museum, and where, you know, they, they were impoverished kids who grew up in tough neighborhoods in Los Angeles, and then they saw what happened in the Holocaust. And their own suffering was then seen in reference to the suffering of others, namely the Jews in World War II under the Nazis. And then their, um, you know, their perspective of life had changed when they saw a bigger picture through history and through other people's suffering. And um, they saw a commonality. And what's striking about this commonality that they see is that what they see is a commonality between or in terms of choice, every human being has a choice between good and evil. And they saw that. You know, you could either be a Nazi or you could be someone like uh, the family that hid Anne Frank. In, the, in that, one of the things that the teacher had them do was read the story of Anne Frank and you know their own sufferings in impoverished or crime-ridden neighborhoods in Los Angeles kind of paled in comparison to families of Jews who were trying to hide out from Nazis in Germany and so and and it boiled down to that and you could either be a Nazi you know you could either choose to be a, a persecutor of others or you could be choose to be someone who helped others And whether, you know, what your class was or your skin color or your culture didn't matter when you're choosing good or evil. That's a choice that everybody has. And and this actually unites quite well to what we're going to talk about today. What unites the church? what is the unity that the church has? Because certainly we're from all different cultures and races and socioeconomic status. And so what unites the church? How does uh, a, a tribal fighting turn into a family? We know in the church that we also have this choice between good and evil. And we've made the greatest choice that we could ever make, which is uh, to believe in Christ as our Lord and Savior. But uh, now that we have, you and I have a commonality of a oneness And that one is God. But what God has given us is one body, one spirit, one hope, one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is above all and who is over all and through all and in all. And you and I share that. We share something divine. And so this is where our love for one another comes from. You know, we could be told, hey, love one another, it's the right thing to do. And yeah, it is the right thing to do. But there's also love one another because of who you are and who that other person is. And if we understand that, then when we love one another, we will do it because we desire it so greatly uh, in terms of our glorification of God and our desire to help one another, and as we'll also see today, our desire to witness to the world. So let's open up in prayer. Let's uh, thank God for his word here tonight, and be grateful for what we're going to learn, always being ready to uh, take into our hearts what the word of God uh, states. And so with that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for guiding us and directing us in your word. We are grateful, Father, for all you do. In Christ our Lord, amen. Right, just excuse me if you're watching because I'm trying to adjust. It's way too loud in there. Oh. And the speakers are cracking. All right, let's try that again. It's definitely too loud. we we'll it just have to go with it. Um, okay. So, turning your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. Our theme uh, today is... Uh, to love one another, and that is love one another and abound still more in that love. And that's going to be our theme for uh, in this passage. Uh, and so, uh, when it comes to love, we understand that we don't really see love in the world presently. It's not very common. Uh, do we see a lot of it in our present world? In fact, we don't. There's a longing for unity, there's a longing for love uh, amongst the human race, and this comes from the gospel, uh, and the gospel provides for us, in union with Christ, the, uh, a, a, a unity, a family that is forever, and it, that is a part, actually, of the attraction of the gospel um, that, is pr- that is given to the world. Uh, the world is full as, as we've said, as of tribalism. Uh, the world is full of hate. The world is full of people uh, living in isolation and being attacked by others and and having all kinds of uh, other issues in which uh, they are um, live in isolated uh, lives and therefore the longing for each person for the gospel. Uh, is there, and God has put it in our hearts because we're made in his image and we desire that gospel. There's a longing for unity and a longing for love, and that is a part of the attraction of the gospel. So we know what divine love is, do we not? And we don't have to really go into sp- spend a lot of time, for, if, if you're someone, especially in this church where we are quite heavy into the word of God, that we know what the love of God is. And we understand what the love of God is. So what we want to look at is why is the love of God important? You know, why is it absolutely necessary and important for each of us? Uh, Tribalism continues to plague the world. In our world right now, it's amazing how prevalent it is and how much time it wastes, how much energy it has wasted, how much uh, money it wastes. And you know, people in position of power use it to keep the people under them divided. And so while we're fighting with one another, uh, we're not able to really accomplish anything. And we do far greater when we're working together than we are when we're separate. Uh, and that is true in all areas of life amongst humankind, but it is uh, also true in the church. We see this all throughout the New Testament that the church has been called to uh, be guided to uh, to work with one another, to be united to one another, to serve one another. We're perfectly fit together in the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 and Colossians, it shows us this, that we each have a spiritual gift. And those spiritual gifts are used to serve one another, to build up the body of Christ. And this we are to do constantly. And in our passage, we'll see that your love that accomplishes this is to continue to increase so you never can ever say, well, you know, where I love, my amount of understanding or what I do in terms of love right now is good enough. It's, we've never really hit the heights of this, and, and so we are to continue to improve in it. So look at, let's look at love first as it is uh, in Paul, in Peter, and in John. Well, let's first start with Paul in 1 Corinthians thirteen, four. Love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, love does not brag, is not arrogant, love does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, and that doesn't mean that you can't hang out with your own, it means it doesn't seek its own self. It is not provoked, does not take into into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never fails. That can be taken out of context to mean that, well, if I love with God's love, that my relationships are always going to be awesome. That's not true. As we know, that is more better uh, interpreted as love is eternal. It, it never fails, meaning it continues to go on when people reject it. The love of God and the love in you will always be uh, and it will continue to abound and increase. But as we know this definition well, I mean, a lot of people, and, and here in our ministry, we've gone over this quite a few times. But that, you know, this is actually what we are to do to one another. And when Paul gives us this list, uh, is he trying to just be wordy? You know, is he sitting there with his Greek thesaurus trying to say, well, you know, how many words can I come up with for love? Or is it true that each of these words individually are as important to love and synonymous with love? In other words, they have just as much weight to them as any other of the words. For instance, patience with one another. Right? The the old adage patience is a virtue. Most certainly it is, but do we have it? You know, in our own minds we can think of you know, let me define love in my own heart, and I just come up with some you know common common definition that I know, and and that's good enough. When actuality, when Paul gives us a list of so many words here that describes it, he definitely wants us to take each one in turn. And you know, kind of chew on it somewhat. So what is patience, kindness, not jealous right not je- now why would I be jealous of somebody? It's because they have something that I you know presumably want. So why would I be jealous of them because I want it? And we saw in last night in yesterday's class this, desire to defraud our brother where Paul Paul said look this is what sanctification is and this is what sanctification ain't and what sanctification is not is impurity or uncleanliness, sexual deviation or sexual immorality and greed now greed Paul described as an overreaching I want more that's what greed is right? greed, greed is not being rich, it's being wanting to be more rich. So greed is always the word more. And we also have in our passage the word more. But it's for us having more love, not more money. For us having more sanctification, meaning, and that's in practice, rather than more money. Or what other, what other material thing that the world longs for? So, so again, let, let's start with patience. I pause there on purpose because patience means that you're willing to give time when you don't want to. Right? You're willing to give someone time when you want them to hurry up. Isn't that what patience is? And, and, and we're told here that it is the love of God that is patient, which we find in the Word of God that God is very patient. I mean, how patient has he been with us? Kindness. All of these are ascribed to the Lord, not jealous. Love doesn't brag. I mean, I don't elevate myself. You know, no, when you try to elevate yourself, you become. People tune you out anyway, by the way. Nobody likes it. Elevate your. Let me talk about how great I am. You, the people may look at you and nod their heads. They're not listening, nor do they care to, just so you know. Doesn't brag is not arrogant. It's pride, a great enemy of ours. Doesn't act unbecomingly. And that, we're going to see in our passage, is in terms of sanctification. But what Paul describes it as in our passage in Thessalonians is keeping this vessel that we're in, which is our body and our minds, thinking and and body, keeping that in sanctification and in honor. In other words, we're in control of it. What I look at with my eyes, what I put into my body, what I think, what I watch, what I hear, what I dream about, what I contemplate. What I think is good and bad are all things that would lean towards my either be, being someone who's uh, you know, comely or becoming in a manner of life rather than unbecoming. Then doesn't seek its own, doesn't seek itself, is not provoked, and that gets to our suffering, which is so prevalent in our passage in Thessalonians. Right? They're persecuted. You're going to be persecuted for the truth. Do you easily snap back in anger? Do you react or do you respond? See, what love is, this kind of gets really right back to the patience and the kindness, is, you know, I'm going to take your insult and I'm going to think about it and then I'm going to think about what I can say or do in response that would help you. To help you see the light, not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Uh, how about the memories of what people have done wrong? How long are we supposed to hold on to those? It reminds me, a conversation we had with uh, so, someone who sent me, we were talking about on the Zoom meeting, I think it was last week, how long do you hold on to like a greeting card or a birthday card before you throw it in the, that card has to be thrown into the trash, Right? So someone sends you a card says, Happy Birthday or Merry Christmas. Usually we hang our Christmas cards up. Some people do. But you've got this card. Say it was really heartfelt. Somebody sent it to you. Someone loves you. Sent it. It's, you know, thinking of you. Get well soon. Eventually that card's got to be thrown in the trash with all the rotten food. Right? You're not going to save. I know some people save them forever. <laughs> I don't. They go in the trash. The question was, how long are you to hold on to a card before it's legally right to throw it in the trash. Where, why did I even think of that? I have no idea. It, it's, <clears throat> it came from the fact that, you know, thinking of the past, holding on to things when we should, by the love of God, we let them go. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. And then very quickly bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In verse 7, Paul uses the same Greek word tauta, which means all things, tauta, 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 all things, all things, all things, all things. And by using that word, he, he's really kind of underlining them. And it's it, by the repetition he underlines. And that's a that's a way that the Bible and, and God does underline things because we... The writers of the scripture couldn't write in bold or italics or, you know, uh, big all capitals. They couldn't do that. Actually, they could do all capitals. That's actually how they did it. But that's another story. Uh, But bears, believes, hopes, and endures. And notice all things. So that's a lot. You know, we could spend a month studying this passage. And as I said before, neither one of these words are to be just either thrown aside or thought that they're less important than any of the others. All of them describe the love of God beautifully. And then it says the love is eternal. We are to love one another. Get back to tribalism. What does tribalism do? It means this ethnic group, and this ethnic group, and this ethnic group. And they're all separate. And because they look different, because they talk different, because they, they sound different, their culture is different, they eat different foods, they're at each other's throats. So do we see this in the Scripture? We see it all throughout. And we see it immediately in the New Testament where the church is filled with two kinds of people. Well, at first it's just filled with Jews. But then come the Gentiles. And Jew and Gentile are not the same. They talk different. They act different. They're from different cultures. They behave very differently. And and it became an issue. A big issue. In Acts chapter 15, they had to have a council to talk about it and come up with rules as to what they were going to do with the Gentiles. And then Paul was there, and Peter was there, and James, the older brother of... wouldn't have been the older brother of Jesus. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> no one's an older brother of Jesus. Now when you have a virgin birth, it's really hard to do. Uh, <clears throat> the younger brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James, he's there. And they had to hash this out. What are we going to do with the Gentiles? Why was that even an issue? Because when people are different part of our fallen nature. All right The Tower of Babel, God confused the language, said they, they're, when they're all working together like this with the same languages, they're just going to be get themselves an incredible amount of trouble. So he split us up into tribes, into nations if you will and, uh, and then the nations warred with one another. Go to John 13. John 13. I keep hearing a crackling in the speakers and it's driving me crazy. You guys don't hear it in the booth, right? That's every, do you hear it, Leonard? That, nothing. Yeah. The last time I complained about this, everybody was like, we don't hear anything. Maybe I have like special hearing. John thirteen thirty one. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now where are we? Context. Jesus is in the upper room. They just uh, have celebrated the Passover. And now Jesus is about to wash their feet. Actually, he has already done that. So the dinner has been eaten and Jesus washes their feet. And now he's going to launch into uh, a discussion, a teaching about what the church is going to be. He's not going to tell them everything, but he's going to tell them enough that's going to begin this incredible new life that's going to be given to the church. And we've got 11... Judas is already gone now. So you've got 11 men who have been doing what? Arguing with each other about who is what? The greatest... Who's the greatest disciple? What is that? It's it's an outpouring of what tribalism really is. We are greater than you and we're going to prove it. And, uh, and what Jesus is going to do for them is to tell them, look, you haven't a clue what it is that the church is. Because the church is a manifestation. Jesus is going to say, it's a manifestation of me. Yeah. Because we find out later on that Christ is the head and the church is his body. And we are the fullness of him. All right? So it would make with all of these truths, <coughs> it's no wonder. You know, it's imperative that we love one another. And getting back to being patient. what is Say, yeah, we love one another. I know, yeah, we love one another. It's easy to throw that word around. But to know what love is in terms of patience and kindness and forbearance and forgiveness and so on. All right. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will see me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. It's the same two words. You know, we have the word agape and, and a love one another is one Greek word. <clears throat> love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, there's uh, a, a number of things that are here, but uh, two things I want to focus on is, first, the, the main thought, which is to love one another. And he's, he's depicted this in washing their feet. Right? So he's become a servant to them, and that is a revelation of what this love is. Love doesn't seek its own. Love seeks for the benefit of others. It's patient with them. It's kind to them. It's not arrogant to them. It doesn't boast to them. It forgives them. It, uh, moving on, it doesn't. Uh, it rejoices with them in the truth. It bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things. And that we are to have towards one another. All of that. And then Jesus says, and we'll see this in our passage, that if you live like this, the world's going to know that you're different. That you're quite different. Because who does this? Even to our enemies that we love. That we're kind and patient and forbearing. That uh, and we're humble. You know who does this? Only those in the church. And therefore, if you love one another, all men will know you're my disciples. He doesn't say everybody's going to believe in me. He just said everybody's going to know there's something weird about you. Or I should really say different. Some are going to think you're weird. All right, go to John fifteen twelve. Fifteen twelve. This is my commandment, that you love one another. This is the same teaching. It's in John 13, John 14, John 15, and John 16. John 17, he's in Gethsemane praying. But this all, 13, 14, 15, and 16, is known as one, as the upper room discourse. And so he's continuing to teach. And now he returns to love one another again. And he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love is no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what the master is doing. But I called you, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. So it it must be very important. He says it so often. And not just here, but uh, in in multiple passages, in 1 John, 1 Peter, just for the sake of time I'll just read 1 Peter for you, but... um, you know this this love of one another is what in Colossians Paul would write would be the perfect bond of unity. And you know and, and getting back to you know and I open with this this tribalism. You know how did that teacher in that Los Angeles school get all of these kids who hated one another? To actually work together and she showed them that there was something above them all that doesn't mean this work would work with every group I think she had a, 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 a group that responded at least but any obviously they did but she showed them that there was something over them all that was common to all so the black kids thought, well, we're suffering in this ghetto and, you know, the, the police are against us. The white man is against us. We're, you know, and all of this is going on. It's against us. And then the Latinos are like, over in our neighborhood, the same thing is going on. But we have it worse than you and you guys hate us. And then over in the, uh, the Asian neighborhood, they're saying the same thing. And then what this teacher did was get them all to kind of look up or out, I guess, and to see that all over the world and all through history, people have been suffering at the hands of evil people, right? Whether it's Jews in, 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 uh, in Germany during World War II or, in, uh, you know, it's, it's happened everywhere. That those who can oppress, who long for power, oppress. And those who are oppressed get oppressed. And is life fair? You know, that's one of the things that the you know each tribe in a tribalism say, well, things are unfair to me. I demand justice. <sighs> yeah, and what if you got your justice? Are you truly going to be happy then? And what if all those who oppress you no longer oppress? Are you truly going to be fulfilled? I mean, people think that they will be, but they won't. The problems inside each of us go far deeper than the oppressors. But the reason why we have our problems is the same, pro- the same reason why the people oppress. It's sin. And so, you know, as I said, as the example of them that this teacher got them all to see a commonality, then God brings real life to the world. Right, which is related to everything, and, and what I mean by that is people being able to get along because they see a commonality is actually a divine thing, because, but it's, it's, not, it's not the real source of unity. It's just a, it's kind of an after effect, um, just, like, just like all people do love, and that's an echo, if you will, of God in the fallen, in the fallen world. People get attracted to others, they love people have a natural love for people in their families, you know at least at the beginning. Uh, and all of that is an, and really an echo or an outpouring of God in this world because no one would love at all if it weren't for God's love in this world. And I do mean in the unbeliever, but for us now, meaning the church, for the born-again believer, now, God, through Christ, has brought this real life. And in this real life, we find the things that are eternal and real that have actually been, uh, in a minor way, a much minor way, uniting people everywhere all over the world. Right? Why do two brothers have like a common bond, even if they don't know God, if they're unbelievers? It's because they're from the same parents. And they have the same home. You know, who made parents? Who made home? Who made this bond between brothers and sisters and mothers, and pa- mothers fathers, parents, parents, parents and children? Who made that bond? It's God. It's, a, it's, an, it's an, an echo or an after effect of, of God in the fallen world. But then there's you and me and all other believers who have actually come now into life and then we really see it. Uh, And so what is common among us is that you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. That's a commonality. Christ died for your sins, every one of them, and he died for every one of my sins. That's a commonality. You're saved eternally, and so am I. Christ is your head, and He's my head. And we're a part of the same body. We have one Father. There's one baptism. There's one call, one election. One hope of our calling. One faith. One Spirit. And we share it all in common. And then... As Peter says, First, uh, first Peter one twenty two says, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Fervently means you've really got to throw all your energy and life into it. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again. Not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. And so, uh, as Peter writes here, the other commonality is is that you're imperishable and so am I. Uh, We're going to spend eternity with each other. And, you know, our petty, and they are petty, our squabbles that have happened here on earth, are we going to be still talking about that when we're in heaven, say, a million, billion years from now? We're going to say, you you remember you owe me ten bucks? Do you remember when you did that to me? That's all, it's all gone. And yet, here in time, man, it it can mean division forever. That we can totally hate one another over it because of what they've done or what they said. Now, amongst the human race that are unsaved, they're kind of stuck in that. I mean, how far they have forgiveness. It's amazing that the human race has forgiveness in it in the unbeliever. I'm saying you God has God's omnipresence has actually touched a lot of unbelieving things here on earth. But now, if we're born again and saved in the body of Christ, and we are, how is it possible that we divide from one another over things, you know, you sinned against me. No, duh, you're a sinner. How about, you know, you, you, you sinned against me. Think about if you were in my face on your worst day. And you took that out on me. Or let's reverse it. I took it out on you. It was my worst day. Is that unforgivable? Of course it's not. Unity comes from love. And love comes from what we have in common. So why is this important to us? Why, it is, why is it important that we love one another? First, is peace. There's, there's, uh, we could put up a lot more than two points, but there's in our passage. These are the two things that Paul brings out: accomplishing more work together than we can on our own. You know, how could a ch- take for instance a church? You know, it it has always been. The local church that has been the cause of growth in in the Christian in in the body of Christ. How can that be with one person? You know, at least to make it function, we need at least two. (laughs) We need one of you in the back to press the button, you know, or to broadcast. But uh, you know, how effective is the church if there were only two, say? Now, two, I guess, could make a church, I guess, you know, we're, but geez, where two or more are gathered, I guess we could say two. But, um, you know, how effective could it really be? How much more effective could a group of, say, 20 or 30 or 50 who actually all have a, you know, all at various levels of spiritual growth, but they have a, a desire to serve, like they, they get it. And say there could be a group of twenty, but you know, how did what did the Lord start out with? With twelve and a few more. It wasn't just twelve, but we have like those. Uh, they're they're called in some writings the uh, uh, secondary apostles because they're given the title apostle in the scripture, but they're not part of the twelve, like Barnabas and Timothy. And Bar- both Barnabas and Timothy, and maybe I think Silas too is is titled apostolos or apostle. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Paul didn't do it alone. Even him. We see, in, in Thessalonians, he always starts his sentence with we. We, we. It's him, and the, the letter is titled, uh, Paul, Timothy, Silas. He wasn't alone. If we don't have love for one another, we can't work together. Not in the kingdom of God. Satan will easily divide us, easily. He's just got to find that little schism, that little thing that's going to cause the one tribe or the one person to be or want to be separate from another. What has happened? What do we see with tribalism in our world now? Good Lord, every time you open the news... It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's just going to get worse when the presidential race starts up in a few months. It's going to be terrible. Uh, It is a waste of time, a waste of energy. Think back to anybody you've ever had a conflict with that you fought with, uh, maybe even divorced from. And, And, you know, think now. Was that a good use of time? Was that a good use of money and energy? No. It's a complete waste. And that should tell us that anything outside of love is going to be a waste of time. And, I, you know, I think about how uh, in my own life that, you know, I can say for instance, you know I can be absolutely bitter, you know i I'm a guy paul Paul says, don't be bitter Paul says to the husbands wait, is paul yeah, don't be bitter to your wives, husbands don't be bitter and, and but he doesn't say that to the wife, so it seems that the husband has this issue with bitterness i I understand that fully that you can get really grumpy and bitter. But there's also that middle ground where I'm not actually really loving. I'm just kind of (laughs) morose. You know, I'm doing all right, but I'm not really living. I'm just kind of shuffling through time. I don't think I'll ever be able to exercise, meaning in the get rid of sense, uh, completely from my life and my thinking. I think... You know, none of us are perfect. But I've, th- I've thought about it a lot lately, like wasted time because I'm not actually, you know, I think in my mind I crawl into myself and, and I just I want everybody to go away. And, you know, all of us have to do that, I think, from time to time. But I'm just kind of babbling up here now about this. Uh, so, you know, my point is, is that you and I need to self-evaluate I, I see aspects in my life that I can't even describe, which you just heard. I, I, just can't, I can't even describe it, but I know it's there. I know that there's something wrong. <laughs> and it's something I can either let it stay or I can get at it and fix it. And it can You know, with God, all things are possible. You can fix anything. You won't get sinless perfection, but you can fix it. If you want to. Uh, And that comes from study, application, obedience, hearing the Word of God, doing the Word of God, and prayer. Now, secondly, as we'll see in Thessalonians, you can turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is witnessing the outsiders. That's how Paul describes it here. We'd say the outsiders are the unbelievers. And that we represent ourselves to them. So uh, let's look at verse 1, because we did verses 1 through 8 uh, yesterday. Again, we're not doing word by word, by word in these books that we're going to do here in the near future, um, because I think when we do that, we kind of get lost a bit from the main themes. of. And so we're going to just take the natural divisions, which... Uh, and what I use is New American Standard, which does a pretty good job with that. Actually, a very good job. So where you see a, a paragraph break, there's no such thing in the original documents of paragraph breaks. There's no breaks at all. It's just line after line after line after line of text. There's not even spaces between the words. There's no indentation. There's no title. There's definitely no verses. <laughs> And there's no paragraphs. But the language you know lends itself to this. And where you see it in your English translation where there's a paragraph break, what that's going to tell you is that that paragraph, so like in my New American Standard, verses one through eight of First Thessalonians four is a paragraph. And then nine through twelve is the next paragraph. And then 13 through 18 is the third paragraph. And that's chapter 4. And if you, if you read them in the English, you can see that there's a natural break. So, And one of the things that points this out is these little particles that are used in the Greek. So in verse 9, it says, Now. As to love of the brethren, right? So you see that word now, which is a particle de, a little little word D-E. Now means that there's a break in thought. So now means he's referring to what he's talked about before. And so that's why I'm going to start in verse 1. Because the first, before I move on. Now, the Word of God, we believe, is inspired by God the Holy Spirit. That it's inerrant and that it's sufficient. Inspired by God. So these natural breaks in thought. So verses 1 through 8 is a thought. And then verses 9 through 12 is a thought. It's another thought. They're related for sure. But that natural break is given by the Holy Spirit. And so one of the things we want to do, so we don't lose context, right? We want to take it paragraph by paragraph and then relate it back to the whole book. And that's why we have to, we have to like kind of remind ourselves, all right, what's in this book? And we'll hopefully continue to do that as we go. But So verse 1 in chapter 4, the first thought is, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction on how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do, do walk, that you excel still more. And we're going to see that phrase again in the next thought. But this, excel excel still more, has to do with walk and please God. Uh, Walk is how we live, and pleasing, if we do it right, it pleases God. Paul says, excel at that, still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel, which means your body and mind, in sanctification and honor. not In lustful passion, which gets us back to sexual immorality, like the Gentiles or unbelievers who do not know God. And that no man transgress, that means, as I said before, it means go too far. No man transgress and defraud, which has a, a wealth, a monetary aspect to it. And defraud is, brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger of all of these things, meaning the Lord is going to judge. Just as, all, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, which means uncleanliness which would be the opposite of sanctification but in sanctification so he who rejects this is not rejecting man but, but the God who gives us his holy who gives his holy spirit to you so what do you get from this and this is a good thing for you to do it's a great exercise because here my goal as a pastor and this is going to become more so is that I want to train and help you to be one who can know that you can learn from the Bible. Right? It, it, it is the Bible is written for all of us. Now what I have what I'm given, what you support me to do, is spend time studying and researching so that, you know, the interpretation is not missed, the right one. I can't do it right all the time but we do our best. But if you think you know what what you cannot think is that well only the pastor can know the bible that is a lie that is not true it's a terrible thought actually. And the fact that once you're trained enough by learning the scripture from in in church that you can actually start to read on your own and understand that this is It's not you and the pastor and then the book, right? You're a believer priest just like I am. I'm just given time. All of you could do what I do if you you have the spiritual calling or the spiritual gift. It's just a matter of time. That's all it is. There's no genius up here. (laughs) It's just time. And I want to show you how you can use this. And that this is your tool, the text itself, that is alive and powerful. So what is this pa- so what I get what I meant to say from that is when you read that paragraph, ask yourself, what's the main thought here? What's the main idea? And you know what's uh, wonderful about this? is that you likely get it wrong the first time, first few times. Yeah, you read through it and say, well, you know, I think the main idea is this or that. And the first, when I started doing that as an exercise, I was getting it wrong all the time. And who have, none of us want to be wrong. Plus, you've got to really think about it, right? If you have to read it and then reread it. You have to actually really understand it. And then you can pluck out a main theme, because paragraph by paragraph there's going to be a main theme there might be two but generally it's one two at most and uh, you yeah know, wouldn't we just rather say pastor why don't you just tell me and it's just so it, it, it just gave me a flashback to me as a high school teacher trying to teach 16 year old kids Chemistry. Now, you can learn chem- basic chemistry. Anybody can learn. You just have to learn the rules. There's rules. Right? As God has created laws, physical laws that govern science. Right? The, the laws don't change. If you mix sodium chloride and, and um, hydrochloric acid, you get salt water. Every time. <coughs> now... Uh, That's a replacement reaction, and I can teach you what a replacement reaction is. And once you learn that, you can interpret any replacement reaction that is not sodium chloride and hydrochloric acid. You could do it for all kinds of replacement reactions, but you'd have to learn what a replacement reaction is. And you've got to learn what ions are. And then you've got to be able to identify the ions. And know who's a positive ion, who's a negative ion, who's the anion, who's the cation, right? So, all of this, and you're like, come on, man, why don't you just tell me what it is? I could. Would you learn chemistry that way? No. Same thing with the scripture. You will learn it more, you will learn it better. If you really concentrate on the text and then ask yourself, what does this mean? This is what I tell you what it means. You're going to remember? How much of this message do you remember? You know, if I do my job, you should remember a lot of it, but you know, I'm working on that. <laughs> main themes. You know, and that's why we stick with main themes, because you need to remember it. So what's the main theme for today? That's a a deliberate pause. And that's just so you can think of it. You don't have to say anything out loud. I don't even care if you did. But what we've talked about today is love one another. And that starts the next thought. But this first thought is, this is the will of God. What is it? Your sanctification. Now, that, uh, everything else, all the other words that are around that, we've got time to learn. When we come back to the passage, we'll learn them. When we come back, we'll learn them more. But what we want to take from it, we want to take it and emblazon it in our souls. That it is the will of God and the calling of God is my sanctification. And in that first paragraph, there's a great... uh, Well, there's something that... Let me put it this way. The word sanctification is there three times. It's the only word that's used three times in that paragraph. It's three times, and in the first in verse 3, it is the will of God, and then in verse 7, you were called for this purpose... Not uncleanliness, but sanctification. Verse 4, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel, body and mind, in sanctification. So it's mentioned three times. It's God's will. You were called to it. And you need to know how to live your life in your control, of this mind and this body, you need to know how to live that in sanctification. And then he says in verse nine. Now, as the love of the brethren, you need you have sorry no need anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it. Sorry, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. Notice that, to all the brethren who are in Macedonia. You know what that means? That because they've learned God's love, there's no tribalism in them anymore. There used to be. Macedonia is a big place. They ain't all related. Sure, they're all Greeks, but actually they're not. They're not all Greeks. There's Jews there. There's Gentiles there. There's uh, Romans. There's Greeks. There's all kinds of people. It's a pretty cosmopolitan place. And he said, this, you love all the brethren all over Macedonia <coughs> because of the brethren. What does that mean? It means they're your brothers. What does that mean? It means that you're, they're your family. They're, they're your family now. God has made a new thing. Jesus Christ made a, he made a lot of new things. But one of the new things he made <coughs> was the black... The white, the Latino, the Asian, the male, the female, the rich, the poor, the master, the slave, are all the same family. And that never happened before. It's true now. And so the family must love one another. Or we'll accomplish nothing. And then the end, so if we continue reading, if indeed you do practice it, sorry, for indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Wait a minute, did we just read that back in verse 2? <clears throat> uh, verse 1, I mean, that you walk in a manner that pleases God, how you ought to, meaning it's necessary. And that you excel still more, which is excel in sanctification. And then he says here, excel in love. Still more. And the word more, it's in Greek, it means more. It's a a common word, but it stands out. It means more, you have to do this more, more and more and more. And to make it your ambition, it really means to strive to lead a quiet life I'm out of time, so I don't have time to go into this, but this word quiet life, it means to be, be still, right? And it's, it's an awesome word because he doesn't really describe it because quiet life could mean, you know, you're not a loud person. Does, does Paul mean don't play rock music really loud? Does he mean don't talk loud? No, of course not. He means a quiet life here means but in the context says, and attend to your own business and work with your hands is a, a life of stillness. And what does that mean? It, it kind of gets right back to the Lord saying, Don't be anxious for your life. That's a noisy life. Be still. That's the, the great the, the hymn, Be Still. Isn't it be still my heart? Is it <laughs> uh well, anyway, I am completely out of time here, so uh there's more here that I would emphasize we'll get to it. There's no need to rush uh but the the last part here is to strive now, which he has said, to love one another and strive, and he's going to connect this back to the first paragraph, which is sanctification if we if we say, all right, we're going to love one another. If we don't take care of this and this, then we're going to, we're not going to do it. In other words, if so, getting back to if we're not if we're not living sanctified lives, the ability to love one another will be a pipe dream that we'll never realize. To love all means that you have got to be mature, and to do that, you've got to obey the Word of God. Jesus said, this I command you to love one another. Uh, you've, got to, you've got to obey the commandments that are going to take care of this, heart, soul, mind, spirit, and take care of this, the body. If I'm giving sin to my body and sin to my mind, and then I'm going to say, all right, now I'm going to love you, not going to work. You might have moments of it here and there, but that's not at all what he's talking about. Moments. He's not after moments. God is after complete life change. And so that is the theme. What unites us? It's love, yes, but it's also the commonality that all of us have that have taken us from our various tribes and put us together in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the Word, and thank you for your Word in telling us and guiding us in the truth. We ask, Father, that through your Spirit, that what we've heard tonight through your Word would be put upon our hearts to change and open our hearts to to the changes that all of us need and to love still more. We ask in Christ's name, amen.